Open up that crystal Pepsi and get comfortable. This is Dope Nostalgia. Great pleasure to still be doing this show, man. I'm so excited to uh, be here every time I record a new episode. It's just one of the most fun things I have in my life is bringing this show to you. So I want to thank you guys for the great reaction you've given it. And keep the uh, suggestions coming. I want to know what kind of things you guys want to see on the show. I'm toying around with some new ideas. Uh, one of those being like something to do with fashion and focusing on some of the 90s fashions. Make sure you follow our social media pages because that's where you get a lot of the visual stuff and our YouTube channel, of course, as well. If you search Dope Nostalgia on YouTube, you will find our channel and you can see all the interviews that we do with the um, with the celebrities, the interviews we do with our friends and some good bonus content there on our YouTube. I also invite you to call and leave us a voicemail. You can reach us at 780-851-8785. So go ahead and give us a call. And the cool thing is, is uh, I might play your voicemail right on the show. So do it. Just go for it. Pick up the phone like you used to in the old days. I know it's rough. You can do it. I'd love to hear from you. And on top of that, uh, wow, the guest today. We've got a two-parter, basically, because I'm doing a back-to-back episode about uh, Canada's greatest music video station that ever existed, Much Music. Um, Starting off the Much Music series is going to be my very special guest today who also has her own podcast called The Reinvention of the VJ. You can find that on any great podcast platform and check out her interviews with some of the past Much Music VJs as well. But she was one of the most popular VJs on on Much and she took some time out just to talk to us and also tell us about what she's doing now. She's an accomplished author and uh, she has a brand new book project out that's also part of it on YouTube. She'll tell you all about it. Welcome to the show, Erica M. Wikipedia Moments. This is the nation's music station. All music, all the time. Much music. Bob Dylan is one of the classic vocalists, and we're going to play a track from, oh, back in, I guess it must have been the late 60s, Subterranean Homesick Blues. Also Tom Petty. We're also going to have a guy who is, um, well, he's Canadian, but according to Canada, he's not absolutely, totally Canadian. Uh, the CRTC is a, is a body right here in Canada, a governing body that defines what is Canadian as far as art goes and uh, broadcasting. And Brian Adams, apparently because he recorded the album half outside of the country and the songs were written half outside the country, does not actually qualify as Canadian music. Interesting, is it? Apparently it was a very, very close one. Uh, the New Kids on the Block just skimmed by, but they won again. This week they're going to take on Extreme. So don't forget, Friday night, stay tuned to Much Music. We'll give you the phone numbers to call, and you just call in and you choose your favorite band, and perhaps we'll be able to dethrone New Kids on the Block. But anyway, they're winning when it comes to selling records and having the most intense fans. You're probably one of them watching this right now. Erica Majchowski, known professionally as Erica M., is a Canadian writer, actor, songwriter, entrepreneur, and TV host. She is best known as a pioneering video jockey, or VJ, 
at the Canadian cable television station Much Music. She got her first job at Chom FM sorting records for DJs. She began her television career by contributing to Musi Video, a local rock and video show produced in Montreal. She graduated with a Bachelor of Arts degree in communications from the University of Ottawa. M moved to Toronto where she found a job working as a receptionist at City TV, which owned the soon-to-launch cable channel Much Music. And when the new station began hiring VJs in 1984, she applied and became one of the station's and the nation's first VJs. M left Much Music in 1994 after 10 years to concentrate on her songwriting career. Since then, she has returned periodically to television, hosting or appearing in shows including Yummy Mummy on Life Network and Discovery Health in the U.S. among other countries. Pop Stars The One, Real Life with Erica M, Power Play, The Company, Nestle Baby, You, and Science from A to M, some of the shows she's been featured on. After having a child in 2000 with her spouse, Terry Moschenberg, who founded the League of Rock, and another child in 2003, she runs the Yummy Mummy Club. She's written three stage musicals for the family market, as well as commissioned to write two other shows, The Big Comfy Couch and Caillou's Big Book Club. Erica M. has written songs which have been recorded by Van Morrison, Tim Thorny, Cassandra Vasek, and Tom Jackson, among others. She has won Canadian Country Music Awards and SoCan Music Awards. And she's made so many television appearances and she keeps writing. She's got so much to share. Uh, M authored She Should Talk, Conversations with Exceptional Women About Life, Dreams, and Success, published by HarperCollins, as well as a children's book, The Mischievous Mom at the Art Gallery. Brand new book, brand new writing, Erica M still just wowing us with things that she has accomplished. So want to welcome Erica M to the show. I want I want to start off by giving you some greetings from our social media. Um, Sunny from Boot Sauce wanted to wish you That's well. So cool. As well as Dove Brown from Junior Gone Wild here in Edmonton. My friend. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they both wanted to say hi and send their greetings to you. Now, I know that you have a podcast out now called The Reinvention of the DJ, and I've started to listen to it first couple episodes in and it took me right back to the memories I had growing up as a teenager. It really struck me when you mentioned how you were aware that this channel was a huge part of people's lives. And it was one of my best friends as a kid. So I always had much on like <laughs> constantly. It helped shape me as an artist and I truly felt like the VJs had a connection with the viewer. And what made you decide to get the gang together for these walks down memory lane? Well, there's a bunch of different reasons. Um, one of them was technology. So never before was it so easy for me to have these interviews because, you know, all these hosts live around North America right now. It's really hard to track them down. And I didn't want to start something that I couldn't do properly. So number one, because of COVID and lockdown and the emergence of Zoom and the increased um, technical finesse of the audio and the video that, for example, that we're on right now, yeah. it's so good that I was able to do it. So that was number one. Number two, back in the day when I worked at Much, don't get me wrong, I loved my job. I loved it. But there was something that irked me, which was a lot of people assumed that I was made by Much, mm. which in fact is not accurate. And I don't think it's accurate for any of the on-air people. What Much Music did is they found people who were already 
music fans or already funny or already knowledgeable about performance. We were already someone of interest. And then Much Music put us together. And it is that, that sort of family of quirky, strong characters that was the basis for Much Music. So my back got up because I didn't like the fact that people assumed that Much Music made me. They didn't make me, they gave me an incredible platform and an incredible opportunity. Hmm. But I and all the other VJs did the work. So when I left much, I wanted to leave it behind. I needed to reinvent. It was important for me to prove to other people that I was more than just that girl from much music. Mm -hmm. And it took me a while to do it. Started many projects, all of which were quite successful. And I felt now today that I was ready to go back. I was ready to go back as an accomplished adult and ready to have conversations that are sometimes emotional with the people who I worked with in the past and not necessarily worked with because, for example, Nam, I never worked with. She was on air after me. Mm -hmm. But we had a great opportunity to compare notes because there is something very hard to describe, the pressure that all of us were under. And again, I love my job. I'm not complaining. Just a reality check of the intense pressure it was when you said you would go home every day and watch much music after school. Millions of people did. They were watching us. And remember, this was live TV with no script yeah. and no director. It was a huge responsibility for each of us, not only to represent much music well, but also our ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, like it, it is embarrassing when you make mistakes on camera, when you say the wrong thing, when you give misinformation and all the fans would come after you. That yeah. wasn't fun. Uh, but it, it taught all of us to be very confident, very strong. So to answer your question, I wanted to have those conversations with my peers. And I can only have those conversations with people who've experienced what I did. So there are only a select few of us, and that's what the in, uh, the reinvention of the VJ podcast is about. I always felt that you were very real with who you were as a person on screen. And at pretty much everybody who was working there all had their, like you said, their quirkiness. And I think it's really, really great that you're being candid with each other about the things that maybe weren't so great there or, you know, your learning experiences and the people you became after you were there. So, yeah, I think that so far, the best compliment that I've had from one of the listeners was um, they said, came for the stories left with ideas. Hmm. Because the show is more than just, you know, tell me about your time at Much Music. It's actually trying to understand the impact that we and Much Music as a whole had on Canadian culture and also how Much Music had an effect on each of us in terms of our careers and how it held some of us back and some of us, it was a great way to open doors. And then each of us have had, you know, very eclectic careers since leaving Much Music. And so I wanted to have those conversations about what it takes to reinvent. And I don't mean reinvent from a VJ to something else, but reinvent from working at one job and then finding a different job. Mm -hmm. Because that process 
is a challenge for everybody, no matter what job you've had. And I think in this climate of COVID, when a lot of people have had to really pivot, lots of jobs lost, lots of businesses closed, lots of forced reinvention, this is an important and timely discussion. Mm -hmm. And uh, you were and are a very strong, inspiring woman in media. Um, did, Thank you. Did you feel that empowerment uh, being the person on the screen or did what effect did your success, like what effect did your success have on you? And did you realize that you had that effect on a generation of young women watching you? Well, I, the first part, um, did I have, did I know that I was having an effect? I didn't know for sure. Mm -hmm. But I assumed that people, particularly young women, were watching me and I was becoming a role model. And I like that because I'm a good role model. Yes. I'm spicy enough. I'm sassy. Got a strong backbone. I speak up. See? But I make... That's what, yep. I, mean. That's what I mean. Always speak up. And I make good choices. And I think of others when I make my decisions in life. And I was very proud to be a spokesperson at the time for, I don't know if you remember this, but it was the Really Me campaign, which was with the government. And it was a, a campaign, an advertising campaign to uh, stop kids from doing drugs. Hmm. I don't do drugs and I've never done drugs. And it's, it's interesting how people assume the rock and roll lifestyle came with all this sort of partying. The irony is that I never partied. I never partied. I didn't want to lose control. I wanted to be in control. Mm. When I went to a club, I would have a drink or two, nothing wrong with that. But I wanted to have my wits about me because if something weird happened, which you know, a lot of jerky guys would come over and start you know, drooling on me, I needed to be on the ball. And I wasn't at much music to party. Mm -hmm. I was at much music to interview artists and understand the magic that they that they have and to curate music for uh, an entire generation. I wanted that to be what girls aspire to, a strong, focused, ambitious woman with a backbone who loves to dress up and express herself. Mm -hmm. You're smiling. Does that I'm make smiling. you happy? It makes me very happy, especially when Good. you talk about fashion. Did you get to make your own fashion choices or any regretful decisions you might have made in fashion back in the day? Well, you could tell me if they were regretful or not, because <laughs> <laughs> it's all how it lands. But yeah. um, for me, it uh, wardrobe was a really important part of the job because it was a visual medium mm. and the way I looked told part of the story. So for example, I grew up with Cyndi Lauper. When I say grew up, I mean, I was already on air when Cyndi Lauper uh, emerged. Yeah. But her fashion sensibility said a lot about who she was, that she was eclectic, that she was loud, that she was brash, that she was one of a kind. Same thing for, that's my son walking downstairs. Um, same thing with Madonna. I also respected her um, self-confidence and owning her own sexuality. Uh, at the same time, I really related to Chrissy Hind, uh. who was a tough girl. Um, and I feel like I am, I'm tough, but more tough in business, 
more tough with an opinion, but soft when it comes to making the world a better place. And still nurturing to like, you have, you have a, a family to take care of now. And yeah, no, that's, it's good to be a woman who strikes that balance. And uh, yeah, I find it very inspiring. Now, was the much environment an inviting place to be at the time? It appeared rather large in size when you watched it on TV. Um, but I was thinking about when you had things going on there, like uh, intermittent interactives and the electric circus, and it totally changed because all of a sudden people filled the rooms. Now, how would you guys go to do that, set it up that way, and then revert it back to a work environment? Because I would always feel like random people are too close to the equipment. And like, <laughs> that's the impression I yeah. got from watching it. Well, you're correct. It really was as, it was just a big empty room and it wasn't really that big. And definitely the TV probably made it look bigger mm. just as the TV made me look taller, <laughs> but we just squished people in and we moved desks. It was just like a play space yeah. and we just used it and just used and reused the space. And in many ways, much music has been a leader one of the ways that they were a leader was redefining what a studio is, which was a working environment. That never happened before. When you had television, you had a studio and then you had the desks outside the studio, never before. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I challenge you to find any other place really in the world who did what we did, which was to set up the lights and a grid over all of our desks mm -hmm. and we all just, lived our lives and did our jobs. And when we were live, we, we didn't really, like if we weren't on camera, if it wasn't our shift, we didn't really know when someone was live and we weren't encouraged to be quiet either. So when you were on camera, you were competing with the cacophony in a regular office. And it was louder than most offices because it was a creative space. So it was, it was challenging and it was, it was, um, it wasn't claustrophobic, but it was tight for sure. Sound engineers must have really done their job because I would never hear like random noises around the room. You wouldn't? <laughs> no. You wouldn't? No, I didn't. Not that I can recall. Wow. No. Oh, I, I remember like phones ringing and... Phones, oh. yes, but like not like random people shouting or doing anything too wild or crazy that I can recall. Maybe you didn't acknowledge it because we acknowledged it as when we were on camera, like if somebody yelled something in interrupting us, we would respond to it. So it became part of the show. Mm. And much like improv, when you, you know, study at Second City or something, they teach you to just accept everything that goes around and just go with it. So we all learned to do that as well. What was your typical work day like? How did you start your day? How did it go? Uh, we had two shifts. There was 12 to four or four to eight. Mm -hmm. And um, the night before I would do research. So I would get my shift. I would get, I would get a rundown of the, the videos that uh, I'd be responsible for introducing. And then I would have to uh, assemble a bunch of magazines and or books and or articles and lug them home because this is pre-internet. Mm -hmm. So we had to do everything manually. I would like turn the pages and look for articles that I could somehow connect to the videos that I, I was playing. So we all were, were responsible for our own research and our mm -hmm. own, not script, there was no script, yeah. but our own stories. 
so that's basically my life was a lot of research mm -hmm. shopping for outfits that was a tough part of the job <laughs> coming in and doing the shift sometimes going out and doing shoots outside meaning like additional interviews or you know field work um, and uh, you know hanging out on queen street mm -hmm. I really liked it when you guys went outside and were like in the sunshine interacting with everybody too. I always thought that was nice to, to bring it outdoors and talk with people, especially things like Speaker's Corner. How many videos a week would come in from Speaker's Corner? And did someone I actually don't know. sit through there and like go through each yeah, video? That was like a separate department. It wasn't actually part of much music. So I don't oh, okay. really know. I know that it was beloved, um, but I also know that Speaker's Corner was just one part of the why much music was so adored mm -hmm. and it's because the audience was as important as us mm -hmm. and the audience we tried as much as possible to include the audience in everything that we did the window obviously where you could stand outside and watch the interviews um, people were invited in all the time to take a look and go on tours and be in the background of shots. Obviously the inter interactive and uh, the I and I shows. Mm -hmm. And then of course the MTV or the much video awards outside people were invited. Yeah. And then all the, all the request shows. Now there was again, no internet. So it was clunky. It was manual. People would mail us or fax us mm -hmm. their requests, but they became part of the show and phones. We would have conversations live conversations so it was um and we were told the on-air people that none of us were more important than the audience and uh to not not start to, for us not to begin acting like stars yeah because we know better than anyone in the audience yeah everybody seemed like egoless to me like I felt like the majority of what I saw was very down to earth and it made it, it more inviting you know? That's that's because we're Canadian. That <laughs> probably has a lot to do with it. Mm. Um, did you write your own interviews since you had to yep. do all the studying yourself? We did not, no one helped me do anything. So any question you ask, the answer is I did it. It's fantastic. Um, did you ever participate in those much music video dance parties that would go around? Like I know I met Master I had, T one year and he came out to I my had town. A, I had a, a, a different one. So I'm kind of an entrepreneur. <sighs> So myself and a guy named Jeff, who had a company called Pink's Productions, and I did the Erica M. Much Music Roadshow, oh, which wow. almost paid for my house. I did so many of those dances and had such a great time. I got to meet everybody. So I would drive like two o'clock in the morning, driving home from some remote location. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was a great time. And then you get to know the fans a little bit Absolutely. better too. Absolutely. Yeah. And they got to know me. What kind of weird things were people doing outside the windows and were they distracting sometimes? How distracting did, did you find that? Like, obviously they were like having a good time when you, especially like trying to get your attention. Was there any time somebody did like really odd things or something that would make you lose focus on what you were doing? Nope, nothing, <laughs> nothing would make me lose focus. Yeah. We, I think each of us acquired a skill to just block out any sort of distraction unless we wanted to acknowledge it. We just did what we did. Mm. So no, no one has ever 
distracted me to the point when I, that I couldn't do my job. Mm. And mostly they were just waving and, you know, and it was awesome. We waved yeah. back and we put them in the shot. You know, we would stand and uh, there was um, gels on the window so that we could shoot out because usually you can't shoot into a window. It's too bright. So there's no glare. That's basically right. Yeah. And so we were able to have people in the shots with us all the time. Did anyone you interview ever make you feel intimidated or you were overwhelmed by the, by the situation? Oh, I'm sure there were many. I can't remember who specifically, but I know that, you know, every interview is another opportunity to fail or succeed. And uh, there was just a pressure to, to rock it each yeah. time. So, you know, I guess the first big interview that I did when I first started was Tears for Fears when they had Shout and Everybody Wants to Rule the World. And I was the newbie, but they landed on my shift. Hmm. And I know that everybody was very, very concerned that I would make a fool of myself. And thankfully I didn't, <laughs> uh, probably just barely. And they were very polite. Um, so the earlier days, probably more so, I was much more nervous, mm -hmm. Duran Duran when they came in, when it was chaos, but it was more exciting yeah. than it was intimidating. It was just another opportunity to prove myself and to improve my, my skills. Which interview meant the most to you? Hmm. Well, I do remember out. one moment when I interviewed Sting and this was not live. This was uh, at the Skydome in Toronto hmm. backstage. And we did really, I guess, a good interview, whatever. I don't remember the stuff that I asked him, quite frankly. All I remember is at the end of the interview, he said, and I quote, you're very beautiful. And I turned around to my cameraman, Dave, and I said, did you get that? <laughs> he says, nah, turn off the camera. Aww. That was the most memorable one. When Sting oh, said I was sweet. most beautiful after the interview, meaning he enjoyed the interview. And I find that people usually are more attractive when you like them or when you, when they are interesting. Yes. So I take it as a is a huge score. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely makes more of an impact if it's not before the interview, right? Yeah. Um, how did you feel when Much Music seemed to turn into a reality show network? Oh, I was way gone by then. I had kids. Yeah. I yeah. was I was running my uh, YMC yeah, cause, website. Because you left in the mid '90s, right, or towards? Oh I, yeah, I left in '94. Yeah. So I was I was uh, much uh, the original much and when I left I literally didn't turn it on for hmm. like ever <laughs> fair enough when did you become an author at what point um did that start happening for you doing the writing I wrote a book I think it was in 92 called she should talk which was a series of interviews with exceptional young women who were in the process of realizing their dreams we were hmm. and continue to lack Canadian mentors for young women so I found 10 of them and put a book together. So that was, I think it was 92, 93. 
And then I wrote a kid's book about five years ago called Mischievous Mom Goes to the Art Gallery, starring my kids. I wrote that Wonderful. with Rebecca Eckler. And uh, yeah, so those were the two books I've written so far. After these messages, we'll be right back. Podcasting is so much fun, but it's kind of expensive too. We got to pay for stuff like licensing fees, hosting fees, long distance phone calls, etc., etc. You get the drill? Okay. Well, we have a new thing called Patreon. Now, Built Nostalgia has a Patreon account where you can subscribe to premium content. And what that means for you is for the very low starting price of $1 a month, you'll be able to get the podcast two days in advance of the regular release. Not only that, $3 a month, you get exclusive video content just for you guys to check out bonus stuff all the time that you don't get with the regular show. So check it out, patreon.com slash dope nostalgia. Become a subscriber today and get all the good perks. Thursday on Much Music. Hi, how you doing? It's the 1998 MTV Video Music Awards. With performances from Madonna. Hole, Backstreet Boys, Brandy and Monica, Dave Matthews Band, Brian Setzer and Marilyn Manson, the 1998 MTV Video Music Awards, Thursday on Much, brought to you by Pepsi. Michael Jackson is a recluse for the most part. He lives in this palatial estate with his pet animals, very few people, and his songs really aren't that emotional. They are more, I don't know if I should use the word generic, and they deal with the bigger issues like goodness. While Janet Jackson tends to live a more normal lifestyle, and when you look at her style, she's way hipper, she's in tune with what's on the street, or she allows people who are on the street to come and dress her, I'm not quite sure, though I think she's pretty hip. And her songs are a lot more gritty, street, sexy. And that's just because of the lifestyle that she's chosen to live. And your current project, let's talk about, called Out of the Books. How did this come into being? And you created this project remotely, correct? Yeah, uh, this was very special. I received an email from a woman that I know who been around the business for a long time. So I know lots of people. She is head of production, I believe, at the Jim Henson Company. And a good friend of hers was working on a project that she thought I'd be perfect for. He's a very accomplished songwriter, composer, uh, and um, a jingle writer Hmm. in LA. And he's worked with a lot of really respected people. He had this concept to bring back fairy tales in a new way. So he had written about 18 pop songs. Each pop song is a fairy tale. So he wanted to take it one step further and to write a musical theater, write a play for families that would somehow incorporate all those songs, but that's not easy. Mm. So he went to a professional, that's me. And he asked if I could come up with a concept for a show where it would make sense to have a bunch of songs that are fairy tales being sung and to come up with a premise that would be appealing to 
parents and their kids, um, which I think is really important because I hate patronizing stuff for families. Yes. And um, so I did. It's essentially a jukebox musical, much like, for example, Mamma Mia or um, what was the the one for uh, Bad Out of Hell is another one. So they there was there were already existing songs, and then the playwrights wrote a show that incorporated those songs. That's what I did. And so the result is a, is a show called Out of the Books. Hopefully it will become a franchise. A franchise. The play um, was written on, much like we're doing right now, which is uh, virtually because he was based in LA. Mm-hmm. I would be tasked to write certain things. I'd come back and I'd read it to him. And then, you know, we'd go back and forth. We were about to go into production to debut the show in Scotland at the Edinburgh Fringe Fest and then COVID hit. So our dreams were pretty much decimated, but rather than uh, give up, we decided to pivot. And I rewrote the script, turned into an eight part video series. And it's uh, now debuted on YouTube and it's way better. It's way more innovative. It's very engaging. I really enjoyed it. Thank I, you. I, what did you like about it? I watched the first episode and the characters and the people playing them had a lot of energy and they're very young. And like, I can see kids would be able to connect to those people. Yeah. And the most fun was dreaming up these characters who are all fairy, t- they're all fairy tale characters, but they're all different than any other fairy tale you've ever read. Yeah. And, um, the storyline, I think, is pretty engaging because the the librarian, who is actually a, a magical cat, is in charge of taking care of the treasury of tales where all fairy tales are housed. Hmm. But, but the treasury of tales is crumbling because families today are not listening or, or reading fairy tales the way they used to. And so she had to think out of the books and come up with a way for families to fall in love with fairy tales again. And this play is that story. And the characters are quirky and unique and together, I can't tell you what happens, but they do come up with a pretty exciting way to save fairy tales. Yeah, so listeners, I'm going to be giving you all the information on where to go to the YouTube channel to to watch and uh, bring your family together and enjoy. Um, that leads me into a question from one of our listeners, Andrew, because he wanted to ask, you've written a number of books now. Do you think children's stories are evolving with the times? Are current hot topics like Me Too movement, LGBTQ, racism, and et cetera, being introduced to kids in a way that they can understand? Oh, yeah. I'm not up on all the latest books. Yeah. Because my kids are older, my son is 20 and my daughter is 17. So, you know, I'm just, uh, I'm sort of out of that preschool and young, um, young kid age, but I can guarantee you that there are extraordinary books out there. If you look, search online, you will find amazing books because there are so many people who are passionate about these topics and you can self-publish now. Mm-hmm. So yes, there are definitely um definitely books to inspire kids and to help them understand complicated ideas at an early age. I mean, isn't that the point? Yeah. Is to 
is to get kids to have, to normalize all these things with kids early on. And so it just becomes a part of our regular culture. Like it, for example, in my play, I have a character called T-Roll and he's part elf and part troll. And obviously I did that because there's a lot of kids who are mixed race right now or their friends are mixed race and it's perfectly cool. Mm -hmm. And it just makes you more interesting because you've got you know, two different backgrounds and traditions to draw from. So yeah. there was that character. And then we have another character called Melody the Blue Fairy. And Melody has always been told that she's the wrong shade of blue. Yes, I know. How can you be the wrong shade of blue? Well, all the other fairies laughed at her. And then throughout the show, she comes to understand that she is just the right shade of blue. So those kinds of, you know, complicated ideas that are simplified for kids. And ultimately building up their self-esteem, no matter how they feel about themselves, right. you know, letting them know it's that so you're perfectly important. fine. You're a beautiful person. You're just the right color. <laughs> now, um, I was going to ask you too, you're very involved in social media marketing and seem to have embraced tech very early, especially into the internet. Um, did you jump into the internet early in your career or were you, were you using it right when it came out? Well, uh, I'm not an early tech adopter, but I'm, I also needed to reinvent. And I had launched a TV show called Yummy Mummy, which was broadcast on Life Network and Discovery Health around the world. Mm. And it was a show for moms, for modern women uh, to celebrate and commiserate life as a, as a woman, which is challenging to say the least. No one was talking about that. So I started that conversation. After two years, the show was wrapped and I wanted to connect with moms really selfishly because I needed a social life. I needed to meet other like-minded women. Mm. And so I started my little website called Yummy Mummy Club, which is now called ymc.ca. And I grew it into the largest online platform for moms in Canada. And in doing so, I realized how many brands and businesses want to connect with moms. Mm -hmm. And so I, I am one of the, uh, the earlier, I guess you'd call them inventors of influencer marketing, mm -hmm. where I had 500 families across the country who were helping us amplify programs that we created to connect brands and moms. And then I launched an agency called M and Co, where I still, which I still run today, where I help brands connect with moms in meaningful ways. So not market at them, but yeah. market with them and help them discover their products and use their products. Yes, using social media, but telling the right story mm -hmm. and making it meaningful and, and making it resonate with women making them part of the process and in including them in the, in the solutions they need in their lives. Yeah. Listening to your audience and finding ways to help them not push a product on them. That's good. Yeah. That's I, I can't stand that kind of patronizing thing. So yeah, absolutely. Me too. Jane is a soccer mom. Yeah. You know, they, the, they actually marketing agencies actually or advertising agencies or brands actually talk like that. It's mm. like, I'm not a soccer mom, but my son played soccer for one year. And you know what I mean? Like they're, they have all these sort of stereotypes, but that as soon as you start stereotyping moms, you're in big trouble mm. because the women that I know are complex. 
and educated and interesting. And they all have strong voices now because of social media. Got to be careful what you say to moms. Who is one of your broadcasting heroes? Well, I could give you one from before and now. Hmm. I would say before it would be Jeannie Becker, who I recently interviewed for my podcast. And it was quite an emotional conversation because I used to be Jeannie's assistant. Really? 30 odd years ago. And she is formidable. She is brave. She is hardworking. She, you know, bashes every stereotype that there is about women in broadcasting. And she fearlessly jumps on any medium and does the work. So I love her. And more recently, my other uh, modern day hero is Amber, Mar Amber Mack, Amber MacArthur. Mm -hmm. uh, you can find her on social media at Amber Mack. She uh, was a, I guess she was a tech reporter early on in her career. And she realized that mainstream media was you know, collapsing. Mm. And so she started her own. And she is a one woman broadcasting empire. She is a master of social media. She is up on all the latest trends. She has like a million followers on Twitter and all her social platforms. And yet she is one of the most down to earth, caring, hardworking people, women that I know. So she is my, my hero and she knows it. How long has she been uh, broadcasting now? Oh, I'm guessing she's been around for about 20 years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And she very quietly and methodically is building an empire. And I just have the utmost respect for her. Hmm. I'm going to go learn more about her. So I'm, I appreciate it. Tell her that Erica sent you. I will. <laughs> have, have you kept any memorabilia from back in those much days? Let me see. Do you have anything here? I noticed you definitely had, it's cool that you have the books and everything laid out there. That's, yeah, that's great. I don't, I don't really have that much. Mm -hmm. I have one of my hats from my hat collection. I had one of my leather jackets here and I think one of my kids' friends might've walked off with it or something. <laughs> I do have one of the original, I have a couple of my original jackets. I have the jacket that I wore the first day on much somewhere. I don't know where it is because we're really messy. <laughs> uh, I don't have much. It's kind of sad because part of it was I, when I got married, I moved houses and I just purged. Now I regret it. Oh, I have a couple of pairs of jeans from back in the day, which I can't fit into. And my daughter can wear now. Oh, nice. Mm -hmm. Uh, that kind of leads into this next question that I ask all our guests. What type of clothing items, food items, toys, et cetera, makes you nostalgic for the 90s? Nothing. <laughs> I'm not nostalgic about the 90s, to yeah. tell you the truth. Yeah. It was, um, it was a time of transition for me because I left in 94, did a lot of TV with um, other networks and then in 99 got married mm -hmm. and then had my son in 2000 when my life really reinvented so I think the 90s were kind of 
uh, a time of transition for me. Hmm. So I, it doesn't, pop culture was not really big in my life. The irony hmm. of this is like, I didn't watch a lot of, what, what are those? Did you, did you, uh, oh, those are, oh, my son is so nice. He took off his boots so that he wouldn't make noise. Thank you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Sweet. Um, yeah, the, the nineties were not defining for me really in, in, in any way. I live in my head mm. and um, especially in that time, I really lived in my head and I just was doing the work. Creating your future goals and everything. So understand. Yeah, and just yeah. doing things that I love to do. What fulfills you the most now? Um, making something from nothing. Yeah. And doing it with a team of people. I really love collaborating. I love working with people. So every project that I have or every business that I run, I have one or two people who are my people. And it's, that's what I love. It's kind of like my work is my social life because we all create something together. So I have a group of people that help me on the podcast. I have a group of people who help me run my agency. Mm. And each of them um, makes me a better person because I learn from them. And what kind of causes do you support? Mostly uh, mental health. Uh, specifically teen mental health. Mm -hmm. My daughter has had a fair share of her challenges and um, it's really beautiful watching her grow up mm -hmm. and figure life out. And uh, she's lucky because she has parents who get it and we were able to get her help and not every teenager has access to that kind of stuff. So this is true. mental health is... is um, really important especially these days and now with covid mm. there's additional pressure and isolation with teens mm. and it's really troubling yeah it's important that there's more resources available right now i'm i'm worried that that's kind of getting overlooked by our governments um maybe not oh, so much talking, maybe not so much federally but provincially we're having a hard time mm. in alberta mm. yeah well we don't even want to start talking about you know provincial yeah um politics because yeah. I, I just shake my head at politicians these days and wonder where their priorities are yeah yeah no I mean we're gonna come out of this we're gonna be we're gonna be all right but in the meanwhile you know um it's good for us to find things to focus on to be creative that's why I enjoy doing this podcast I started sure. it I started it at a time where I felt it was really helpful for my mental health <laughs> you know keeps keeps me focused on something positive so thank you for being yeah, so that. did you did you start this podcast during covid i started it uh, at the end of january uh, this oh. year yeah so it just kind of like led up into the timing being right i had already been putting my you know my crossing my t's dotting my i's getting ready to create it and then it hit so Honestly, it was e almost easier to connect with people because everybody had learned how to use Zoom and learned how to use Skype over the last few months. So, yeah. Um, Way better. Crazy timing, but it's definitely helped my mental health. <laughs> During isolation. And thank you so much for spending time with me today. It was really a pleasure speaking with you and I'm very inspired by you. So thank you. Well, just be strong and be yourself and you can't go wrong. Yeah.
Oh, I didn't, I didn't mean to make that rhyme. <laughs> wow, that was weird. <laughs> it's all good. And now, this is fucking stupid with Naomi, Kendra, Charity, Mike, and Colin. This is fucking stupid. Is fucking stupid. It's a stupid game we play where you have to guess the hot song of the '90s or a super obscure song of the '90s. Our friends have no idea what I'm gonna throw at them. Why don't you come play along with us? Okay, let's try this. Oh, uh, that's where you belong in my heart. Waiting for the the sky to fall? Colin's right. What is it? Waiting for a star to fall. Star to fall. Any guesses on the artist? (laughs) Air supply? That's a good guess because that voice kind of sounded like air supply for a second. Yeah, I was just going to say that. That is Boy Meets Girl. Okay. Okay. Air Supply wasn't 90s, though. They were like late 70s, early 80s. Primarily. But I think they put out something maybe in the 90s, eh? Yeah. Um, Asking their own dude. (laughs) Pretty sure. I think they were 80s. Anyone heard this before? Nope. Nope. I think I have. Yes, I've heard this before. Give it all up? No. Give it all up for you? <laughs> no. <laughs> he guesses. No guesses on the artist? No. Simply Red. Um, oh, okay, I've heard it's bad. They had another song. The song was called Something Got Me Started. <laughs> Did they also do uh, uh, If You Don't Know Me by Love? Isn't that the same band? Let me check. Let me check. I'm checking that. I feel like they did that song. I don't think that they didn't do it originally, but you're right. No, they didn't do the original. They did a cover. They definitely did a cover. Simply it's read number one. It's their number one play on their, uh, yeah, they covered Holding Back the Years by yeah. Steely Dan, too. Okay. So it's a song. It was made by Gingers. Hey, Ginger. <laughs> okay. Fuck. Fuck. That sounds like Van Halen. Not. 
Yes. It's Mr. Big! It's Mr. Big, five points. Do you remember the name of the song? song title the whole, whole world, world is gonna know. know the whole world is gonna know did you say that at the same time mikey yeah, yeah he, he did okay i'll give you both the five on that one. Oh, and kendra gets 10 Damn. as soon as i heard his voice i was like yeah that's eric Martin. <laughs> i knew I, I knew you'd figure it out by the voice oh shit here she comes just like an angel uh, Nelson. Um, it's Nelson. Love and affection. Yes. Ten points. <laughs> play, play, play. And I do have my phone in front of me, but I'm playing solitaire. <laughs> Oh, uh, damn, I wish I was your lover, Sophie B. Hawkins. 10 points. I was singing it in my head, trying to get to it. <laughs> oh. 10 points. I'm, I'm, I'm having a hard time finding stuff that's not too easy. You know what I mean? Yep. I want everyone to show you at the same time, Why don't you sit right back It's green jelly. Three little pigs. Three little pigs. You, Colin is now officially tied with charity. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm still sucking eye to it. <laughs> Actually, all three of you are officially tied now. Charity, Kendra, Colin, and Mikey's sucking hind tit, apparently. <laughs> all right, guys, here's the next one. Yeah, I have to add this to my playlist. Hang on. <laughs> Oh, uh, uh, mistake, Bush? uh, mistake, uh, cereal oh, Joe. Oh, cereal kid Joe, or kid cereal Joe. Oh, cereal Joe. Fuck. I have, I, you had it, but Colin had it properly. I'm so sorry. Colin gets the points. I'm gonna go with this. Yep. Oh, fuck. Oh, backwater meat puppets. And points. This oh, is Rupert Salt. Uh, Rupert Salt. Yeah, yes. five points. 
25 points for charity. And it's 25. No. Something about uh, awesome. 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 You guys literally. That was like. Was that our time? They, they, it was like I'm, I'm watching their mouths. It was <laughs> right at the same time. Okay, five each. Five each. Awesome. Love this song. I love this whole album. <laughs> this album is amazing. <gasps> so good. Dustin to win, Kansas. Nope. Oh, uh, Silent Lucidity. Um, <laughs> yeah, it is. Hush now, don't you cry. You're my boy, Blue. <laughs> Wipe away the what a blast it was to speak with the legend of VJs, Erica M. You can check out her Out of the Book series with Erica M on YouTube, her Yummy Mummy website. As well, her brand new podcast, The Reinvention of the VJ, is out on all podcast platforms. Check it out. And thank you once again, Erica. Part two of my Much Music series goes on next week when I welcome Stephen Kersner, the voice of Ed the Sock. I asked to speak to him because I want to know more about his life. And I learned so much about his time at Much Music and the new project he's working on, which is almost like creating a Much Music version 2.0. A bit nostalgic for us, and I'm excited to share that interview with you next week. Until then, you guys take care. You know how to get a hold of us. If you don't, here's the social media info you need. Take care, everybody. Bye. Follow us on Facebook at Dope Nostalgia, Instagram, Dope underscore Nostalgia, or on Twitter at Nostalgia Dope. This podcast is licensed by SoCan because we believe that artists should be paid for their work.